Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the second Sunday of the Blessed Month of Hatur, and as I mentioned last week, my beloved, that the Gospel is the same, the parable of the sowers, of the sower. And we said last week that the purpose of the message is for us to evaluate what kind of land we are. Are we the good land or the good soil? Are we the stony? Are we the ones that are uh, choked by the thorns of the pleasures of this life? What kind of ground is in my heart? Uh, and we spoke a little last week about in order for us to evaluate what kind of ground we are, we have to know ourselves. We spoke, spoke many points about knowing ourselves and how to know ourselves and what can aid in knowing ourselves. We said that asking God in prayer helps us, uh, aids in our, uh, to know ourselves, having this quiet time. And also we said examining ourselves honestly was what helps us to know ourselves. So I want to speak a little bit uh, in more detail about this part about examining ourselves, the process of self-examination and why it is so important. St. Paul tells us in his second letter to the Corinthians, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves and do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? So it's a commandment for us to self-reflect, to look inside ourselves and to examine ourselves. What's the importance of examining ourselves? What happens if we don't examine ourselves? Let me read for you what St. James says in his first chapter. He says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So he says the person who doesn't evaluate himself is like a man who sees himself in the mirror and as soon as he leaves in front of the mirror, he forgets what kind of person that he is. There's no self-evaluation. And he continues and says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So he says two important things. If we're of the ones who do never, never examine ourselves, we don't look at the motives and things behind our actions and thoughts and so on, he says two things. One will easily fall into the trap of self-deception. And to deceive oneself is, is very difficult uh, because we think we're going in one direction, we think we're right, but actually we're going in a completely opposite direction. The other uh, thing is that he says, he describes our religion as being useless. And if you think about, okay, if I believe something, but I don't put it into practice and it doesn't affect me at all, then it becomes useless. Right? It becomes useless. It's just like if you go to the grocery store and you get a lot of you know different ingredients to make some kind of meal, and then you go home and you realize that one of the items you, you purchased you don't need in the uh, uh, to make this particular meal. Then what happens is it, it probably just sits there or sits in the refrigerator until it goes back because it didn't need it. right? So what good is it if I uh, don't examine myself he says that my religion becomes useless because it didn't change who I am. Also, um, we have to understand that this introspection or this looking at oneself or examining oneself is one of the works of the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to do this alone. In John chapter 16, the Lord tells us that when He, the Holy Spirit, has come, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So part of the work in the Holy Spirit within us is to convict us, pushing us to self-reflect and to make the changes that we need. So it is a work of the Holy Spirit. 
What happens if we endeavor on this self-examination without the work of the Holy Spirit within us? There are many books out there about self-help and all of these you know, different types of books. But what's the difference between those in the spiritual books and having the Holy Spirit work within us is we don't have the aid of God. And what happens when we try to um, cure a spiritual disease without God is we will fail every time. Either we'll fall into one or two categories. Either when we try to examine ourselves without the Holy Spirit, we'll be excessively permissive to ourselves and leading to uh, not taking in responsibility and uh, perhaps laying that on others. Or we'll be excessively harsh with ourselves. We'll be too harsh, overly critical, and unforgiving of ourselves. And both extremes are not uh, good and they're equally wrong. The fact of the matter is, my beloved, we don't know ourselves as well as God knows ourselves, knows us. We don't know ourselves as well as God knows us. If you think about it, um, we only know ourselves as much as we are self-aware. We only know ourselves as much as we are self-aware. What do I mean by this? If, for example, you know, little children, uh, if you have like a, this is very common, by the way, have a little, uh, little, uh, you know, sibling, and an older sibling. The little sibling will come to the older sibling and start to bother them and annoy them, right? The little sibling, all he want, all he understands is, I want to interact with my brother or my sister, whoever it is, and play with them, right? This is adatlu, this is as much as he knows. But if the old child, the older child is old enough, or the parent of the child understands that this behavior is not simply because he wants to destruct or annoy his brother per se, but it's he wants his attention and wants to play with him. And the only way that he understands to do this is to bother him. Because older brother doesn't give him any attention, older sister doesn't give him any attention. When, as the child grows up, he'll be able to articulate to the older sibling, I want to spend time with you, let's hang out. But when he's still a child, he doesn't know that because he's not self-aware yet. He's not aware of what his needs are. So if you see, as we grow, we become more self-aware. But God knows us as we are from the very beginning. So the same thing happens in our spiritual life when we examine ourselves. God will reveal to us and let us be more self-aware about our sins. It's a shame when somebody will come and will sit for confession and they sit there silently and they say, well, I don't have anything to say. Immediately I know one of two things. They don't examine themselves regularly and they don't read the Bible. Right, because this will tell us exactly what we're doing wrong. If I don't think I'm doing anything wrong, then I'm I'm not, you know, reading the Bible enough, and I'm not uh, uh, examining myself. That's why I said last week that it's it's uh, crucial that we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to work within us. And I'll share with you again the verse from last week from Psalm 139, beautiful Psalm, by the way, for anyone who wants to examine themselves. He says, "Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties." See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The next question is when do we examine ourselves? <clears throat> Most of us, or a lot of us, we examine ourselves on different occasions. We'll examine ourselves maybe on our birthday, we'll examine ourselves at the end of a new year, we'll examine ourselves during Yani Pascha week, we might examine ourselves before confession or during a retreat, and so on. There are different times that we can examine ourselves. Uh, the better, of course, is to a little bit better than that is to examine ourselves daily. So at the end of the day, I take a couple of minutes to think about um, my relationship with people and so on during this day and what sins I committed 
in my thoughts and in you know in uh, in person. And even the church reminds us of this every day in the prayers of the midnight watch. It reminds us of three things in the Agbeya. Uh, the first thing is that it reminds us of the second coming of the Lord, of the gospel, the first gospel, the first uh, hour or watch is about the uh, five wise and five foolish virgins. So it tells us that eventually the Son of Man will come and the door will be shut. So it tells us that there will be a judgment. So every day, at the end of the day, I bring to my memory what, that there is a judgment day. And then the second uh, hour tells us that uh, about the story of uh, the woman who came to Simon the Pharisee's house. So that, okay, if you know that there is a second coming, the next logical step is what? That we need to repent. Right? All this at the end of the day uh, is to repent. And after we repent or doing our repentance in the third watch, um, he leaves us with the message of hope and a very beautiful one at that. And this is how it closes you know, the night. He says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of heaven. It's his pleasure. This is why, of course, he sent his son and why his son was crucified for us. Because it's his pleasure to give us the kingdom of God. And maybe some take it even to a greater extent. And some people examine themselves before an action. Before an action. So before they speak, before they do something, they examine how this person is going to interpret this. And am I going to communicate what I want to effectively by doing X, Y, and Z? So this person examinates prior to the action, which is, of course, uh, great. All of us came to church this morning. Why am I coming to church? What's my motive? Is it to pray? Is it to meet someone? Is it to chat with my friends? Is it to deliver something to somebody? What is my motive for coming to church this morning? When we examine ourselves, there are a few things we need to avoid. Uh, Number one, we need to avoid excuses. St. John Chrysostom says, um, the road to hell is paved by good intentions. What does he mean here? Is that because we make excuses for not fulfilling our good intentions. So the road of hell is paved by just having a good intention but not fulfilling it because they're excuses. Uh, and St. Clement of Alexandria says, uh, it is not he who reproves or corrects his brother that does the hurt but he who excuses himself. He says the greater hurt is not the rebuke of another, or not rebuking another. The greater hurt is not examining myself or excusing myself when I do something wrong. Um, And there are many excuses that we make uh, that are very common. I'll mention a few of them. Why do we not pray? Well, Abuna, because I'm very busy. I don't have time. I wake up too late. Why is it that we don't read the Bible? When I don't understand it, it doesn't make any sense. Right? Excuses. Why don't you give their tithe? I wanted the inflation now and it's so expensive, so everything's expensive, so I don't have money to give my tithe. Um, why don't you fasting? Well, it's too long. Can we just do a couple of days? So you see, with everything, there is some kind of excuse. The Lord Jesus... Um, warned us about making excuses in Luke chapter 14. He tells a parable of a man, with the parable of the Great Supper, a man who had a great supper. And he went out to invite his friends. And he said to them, um, after he invited them, it says here, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. 
The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. And still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So every one of them made the excuse. And notice here, none of the excuses are sinful, right? They're not evil in and of themselves. It's not evil to have a wife, nor oxen, nor to have land. But it was just the excuse of not meeting with the Lord because of some other preoccupation. Now, what does the Lord do after this? He says, okay, leave them. Go invite everyone in the streets so that the banquet can be filled. And they go and do so. And at the end of the uh, parable, he says, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. The supper, of course, to hear is the Eucharist. So he invited many people to come, but many people gave excuses. And the Lord said, they shall not taste of this supper. And this supper is the heavenly supper, right? This is what we will eat and drink in the kingdom of heaven, right? So excuses are that any uh, um, damaging. Excuses also will paralyze us. As long as I make an excuse for myself, I will never make a change. As long as somebody else or some, you know, somebody else besides me are, is, is responsible, I will never make a change. It's very common to hear, Abuna, so and so made me do it, say it, go there, whatever. Whenever I say somebody made me, this is an excuse. Because no one can control anyone, right? Even parents, do we control our children? We can try to set discipline, but we can't really control them. I wish sometimes we had a mute button. You know, if they're crying, we can just mute them. Or if there was like a, like a, some kind of tranquilizer when they're like jumping everywhere, I can just push a button and they just kind of relax. I wish that happens, but it doesn't happen. We can't really control anyone, right? So to say then so-and-so made me angry, upset, or whatever, this is my responsibility because I reacted to this this way, right? Until I take this responsibility, I will never improve. I will just shift the blame to someone else. This leads me to the second uh, thing we need to avoid is to shift the blame. Of course, the first classic example of this is Adam. When God said, Adam, what happened when you when he uh, ate of the fruit? He said, well, the woman you gave me made me do it. And he said, Eve, what do you have to say for yourself? And she said, well, the serpent tempted me and that's why I ate. So everybody shifted the blame to someone else because they don't want to take responsibility. And again, the the underlying, you know, the foundation of repentance is taking responsibility. So if I don't take responsibility, then what kind of repentance do I really have? If you remember the uh, passage of the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee came in uh, and he's praying and everything is, you know, hunky-dory and everything. And the, the publican or the tax collector was in the back beating his chest, looking down at the floor, feeling so unworthy. And the Lord said that he went away justified because he judged himself. He didn't blame somebody else for his sin or for his shortcomings, but he took responsibility for himself. The same with David when he was rebuked by Nathan. And Nathan told him, you are the man. He said, I have sinned before the Lord. He didn't make excuses, but he took responsibility. There's a story once of a monk, uh, back when the thrice-blessed memories, Pope Shenouda was still a monk in the monastery who was taking confessions. And one of the monks came and con- was confessing. And he said, he was, I think, Abuna at the time. He said, this monk did this and this. And he said this about somebody else. And this is why this person did this. And this person, when he did this monk, 
But he, and he said this big story that happened in the in the monastery. But he said, Halini Sayyidna. But he's like, okay, go get those men or those monks, Yani, whom you just mentioned. He's like, Sayyidna, I don't want you to, Yani, Wagihum. I don't want you to, Yani, to speak with them. He's like, no, no, I'm not going to speak with them. I'm just going to pray the absolution for them because you confessed for them. He, sp- he spent all the time confessing about other people's sin and he missed the opportunity to have the absolution read for him, right? Because he was, Yani, shifting the blame of his sin to someone else. The last thing we should avoid is postponing. Postponing. Again, this is another any self-deception, is we always tell ourselves, you know what, so I'm going to start any tomorrow. We sit in confession, okay, this is what your spiritual canon is going to be. I'm going to start in the new year. And if you say from now, you're going to start in the new year, forget about it. Uh, you have to start from today. You know, Waiting till tomorrow or next week will never happen. You know, tomorrow never comes as they always uh, say. Why? Because one, you know, if you look at the three, you know, parts of time, the past we can't change, it is what it is. The future we can't, you know, really uh, assure ourselves or guarantee. The only time we have is now, the present moment. So if I don't make a change in the present moment, it doesn't happen. Again, this is the good intention. The good intention is fine, but if it doesn't happen in a present moment, then it never becomes present. And it never becomes done. It always becomes an ambition or something in the future, and that's where it stays. We can never accomplish anything if it stays in the future or just is always in the past. It has to be in the present moment. This is why when the Lord met with Zacchaeus and he told him to come down from the tree, I'm going to come to your house, he didn't say, you know what, my wife isn't ready for you. Do you mind coming tomorrow? He didn't say that. He said he made haste and he came down and he took Lord Jesus immediately into his home didn't wait there was no delay so don't post, uh, don't postpone um, repentance or self-examination do it in the present moment lastly how do we examine ourselves um, examine ourselves in the sins that we commit the potential or the sinful potentials and our shortcomings the sins of course it's easy it's the lying the cheating the stealing the things you know that are sinful that we're aware of and gossiping and so on but what about the potential? We need to confess also about the potential of sin. In uh, in First Thessalon- uh, Thessalonians, Saint Paul says, "Abstain from every form of sin." Something that just resembles sin, abstain from it. Like if it smells like sin, then it's sin. If it looks like sin, then it's sin. Avoid it. What do I mean? And sometimes these things don't seem to be uh, sinful in the in, in the beginning. For example, if you look at Lot. When Abraham and Lot were going to split, Abraham told Lot, go choose the land that's good. So Lot says, okay, here's a good and fruitful land, the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So he chose the nice and fruitful land, and that's where he dwelt. If you think about it, okay, there's a nice and fruitful ground, but then what about the people that are there? So he went and dwelt there and made, you know, a living and made money and all of this stuff until the evil in the city got so bad that God said, I'm going to destroy this city. But how was Lot in the midst of this city of Sodom and Gomorrah? St. Peter tells us. He tells us, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So he tormented his soul by being among them. So we need to also confess of this, of the circumstances that are potentially sinful, right? And be aware of them and examine ourselves in them. 
What ended up happening this time that he spent in Sodom and Gomorrah ripped his family apart. He left Sodom and Gomorrah, his wife turned into a pillar of salt, and his two children had any not very clean minds. Okay, There was an effect that happened here when he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. The last thing are shortcomings. St. James tells us a verse that sometimes we kind of read and we don't uh, pay much attention to. He says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So somebody who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. How many of us confess of the things that I could have done good but I didn't? This is a sin. Remember the parable of the uh, uh, Good Samaritan? The priest walks by, the Samaritan, the, the person who was beaten half dead, the Levite walks by, and the Samaritan is the one who went and stayed and helped him. Right? So for the priest and Levite in this story, they just walked by. There was a good that they saw that they can do, and they didn't do it. To them, it is a sin. Right? Again, something we need to examine ourselves uh, about. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> we also need to examine ourselves regarding our spiritual canon or our spiritual rule. And this is something we d- discuss with our Father of Confession about how we pray, how we read Scripture, how we fast, how, uh, the spiritual reading we have, all of these means of graces, there's a certain like dose. Just like, you know, if you're an athlete or if you have some kind of uh, training you're doing and you're on a strict diet, you're monitoring your calories and di- from different sources and it's very strict, right? So this we call like a diet or a rule for your food, right? Same thing with our spiritual life. And this is something we speak with our Father of Confession, have a rule that we go by, which we call a spiritual canon or a spiritual rule. And the idea of this rule is not simply a checklist, um, but it is uh, as if abstaining from food. So we need to look at it. This is our nourishment. Uh, this, these are nourishment, and we need these to live with God. Our spirit and our soul needs these to live with God. And I'll tell you, any struggle that we do without these means of grace will end up failing. Without God's grace, it will end up failing any struggle that we do, because it's, I'm depending on my own strength. Lastly, we need to evaluate our, uh, or examine our relationships. <clears throat> if you think about the commandments in the whole Bible, the Lord said we can summarize them in two. Love the Lord your God, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So we see the three relationships here. Love the Lord your God, your relationship with God. Love your neighbor, right? So relationship with my brethren, and as yourself, and the relationship with myself. So the three, these are the three relationships we need to evaluate uh, when we examine ourselves. Of course, our relationship with God, these are primarily the things that we are short in, and like what we said in our, about the spiritual canon, our prayer, fasting, and so on. Uh, and what kind of, what motivates me to do these things, and whether it's of good quality or not. Um, the second is, when we evaluate ourselves, these are usually in two categories. One, we evaluate our thoughts and then evaluate our habits. What are my thoughts like? Right? We need to evaluate that because the beginning of the thoughts is where the sin comes. You know, the Lord said when they asked him about eating food, he said, it's not what enters into the mouth of man that defiles him, but what comes out because what comes out of our mouth comes from our heart. The lastly is, of course, our relationship with others, which is the most apparent and the easy ones. Uh, my relationship with my friends and colleagues and family, those who like me, those who don't like me, uh, and ultimately with my relationship with the world as a whole. 
do I pray for the world and for the peace of the world? And God knows that the world needs much prayer now. May Lord, the Lord allow us during this uh, this month and the coming month during the fast to spend some time to evaluate ourselves, to meet with our Father of Confession and offer up repentance. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.